Welcome to Dig Deep, the mining podcast. In this podcast, we go deep into mining news, hot topics, and live interviews with mining professionals and leading figures in the mining industry. Introducing your host, Rob Tyson, founder and director of Mining International and Mining International Executive, a leading global mining recruitment and headhunting agency. Hi, mining community. Welcome back to another episode of the Dig Deep, the mining podcast. And today's guest is Alex Walker, who's the CEO of East Star Resources, who are focused on the discovery and development of gold, rare earths and copper deposits in Kazakhstan. Alex is is a mining investment banker and resources executive um, based full time in Almaty in Kazakhstan. Um, He's originally from Australia um, and is also a former captain in the Australian Army Reserves. Um, And he has more than 15 years experience in mining finance and management. Um, And he's going to talk to us about E-Star Resources, um, what progress they're making and what they're potentially looking to looking to do in the future. So that's welcome, Alex, to the podcast. How are you doing, Alex? Yeah, very well. Thank you, Rob. Thanks for that uh, detailed introduction. Much appreciated. Yeah, thank you. Well, I'm going to flip the question back to you and ask you to obviously give us a little bit more detail about your career and your background. Um, obviously, I just gave a, a, a just a quick summary there. But wonder if you can tell the audience a little bit about yourself, your career, um, a little bit about, obviously, um, your mining mining experience. Um, and then we go into, uh, obviously, more questions, more detail around the company. Certainly, certainly. Um, so, yeah, as you said, I've, I've been in uh, the mining uh, game, principally in mining finance, for about the last 17-odd uh, years now. Um, I started my career with Patterson Securities, which is a broking firm in, in Perth of Western Australia. And as as you would want to do in Perth, there's, there's very little else uh, but to become an, an expert in mining. And so uh, I, uh, I went down that path and, you know, being surrounded by I think some of the industry's um, uh, you know, greatest in, in terms of their their um, understanding of the business uh, for, for, for exploration and development of mineral projects. So I was in Perth for seven years. I moved to um, uh, London in 2013 to do the same thing, you know, mining, finance and investment banking, principally focused on juniors to, to mid-tier um, mining companies, raising capital and, and, and structuring deals. Um, I did 12 months with Patterson's in London and moved to a boutique uh, London firm. At that time, I did three years with that firm um, quite successfully, even though the markets were uh, were, were quite um, uh, difficult over those periods. And uh, and then moved to Pareto Securities, which is a large Norwegian um, firm, before jumping ship and, and joining the other side. Um, during that time, you know, I continued to study. I did... Um, uh, various, um, uh, uh, sorry, various bits of study in finance, and I did a master's of mineral economics, which sort of uh, bu- bumped me up the education scale on um, on, on financing mines and developing ex- um, financing exploration, developing mines. Um, the jump ship was to start a company called uh, Scandivanadium. I did that with um, a chap called David Minchin, who was. Um, a geologist with with AMED funds, which is one of the mining private equity funds out of London. So we pegged some ground in southern Sweden for sedimentary vanadium um, uh, deposits. Still to this day, we believe it's probably one of the largest um, uh, vanadium deposits in the world. 
Um, but the time that we we started pegging Vanadium was about $4. And as we listed the company, it was about $26, $27. And then um, as we uh, as we commenced the, the following 12 months of, of, um, of progressing towards exploration drilling, um, the Vanadium price came back quite drastically as well. And we had a few hurdles uh, in Sweden um, in terms of permitting. And that's actually a significant reason why, why we've ended up in Kazakhstan today. Um, so we saw that one through. We ended up um, move, moving on from that company, but that company was the seed of the idea for us moving to Kazakhstan and um, you know, principally looking actually downtrend from, from a company called Ferro Alloy Resources, who had quite a significant market capitalization at the time and, and was successfully producing um, vanadium from, from a sediment hosted deposit. Um, so we didn't find what we were looking for on that front, but we did find a hell of a lot more. <laughs> in terms of uh, copper, gold and, and other um, interesting things in Kazakhstan. And we, we sort of fell in love with the exploration potential of the place. And, and uh, here we are a little bit later. Um, uh, it, was, uh, it was too good an opportunity to pass up. So I've moved my family here. We've lived here just over a year now. And uh, we are very much getting on with things. And we're having a really, really good, very, very interesting time here. Yeah. Uh, before we talk about E-Star Resources, there was a couple of questions. You just mentioned, obviously, you moved your family to uh, to Armati. What's that experience like? Well, I mean, being here is wonderful. Moving is always a bit of a task, isn't it? Especially, um, you know, when you're a junior company, you don't have all of the, the um, support network of being a major and having, you know, transition agents and things like that to set you up with bank accounts. So, you know, it's it, we we do everything ourselves, did everything ourselves, finding a place to rent, school for the children, bank accounts. You know, and it, thankfully we'd done all that stuff for the for the company years earlier, so we'd had a, a little bit of infrastructure in place, good accountants and so on. So, you know, it's um uh it, it's always a bit of a battle putting all those things together. But I've got a wonderfully supportive family, as you can imagine. Um, uh, you know, so we actually had a really good time with things. You know, it, it didn't take too long. It was a couple of months before we were nicely settled into a house. Um, you know, the kids were in Jetski Sad, um, uh, or at least my daughter was at the time, kindergarten, and, um, and, you know, rolling on with things quite nicely. But, you know, it does take a long time to settle in from a holistic perspective because, you know, we want nothing more than to spend extra time exploring the country. But, of course, there was a lot of work to be done uh, before before we could get stuck in and do too much travel, um, so uh, so hopefully this year we'll 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 manage to get out uh, as a family and see the country a little bit more as well. Yeah, um, and also you were in the uh, Australian Army Reserves. Um, have, what what have you learned from being in the army that you could? Uh, what are some of the skills and experience that you probably learned that you could bring into the mining industry? I mean, I've interviewed a few people. Um, that have been in their respective uh, armies in their certain countries. What, what would you say some of the skills and experience that you've learned being in the army that you've brought into the industry? Goodness, that's that's a that's a good question, which I haven't put um, too much time and effort into in the past. I, I could go into a lot of detail on that. I'm sure about uh, you know critical analysis and so on. But the the reality of it is the the one key thing. That you take out of the military and and that you can take out of um, working in junior exploration is is grit. Um, 
you know, there's a lot of scenarios where things don't go perfectly right or you constantly get knocked down or you come up against a hurdle or simply you're just out in the middle of nowhere, um, <laughs> you know, pushing through solving logistics issues, you know, as fast as humanly possible to make sure that, the, you know, the exploration dollars get, get spent well. Um, so it's just the sheer capacity to come across a problem and uh, use every means necessary to work your way through that problem and not not stopping till it's till it's resolved. And so, you know, really, if I could summarize it with with one word, it would simply be grit. Yeah. Um, so I wonder if you can just give us uh, tell the audience a little bit about um, eStar Resources, uh, an overview from uh, from above. Sure. So eStar listed on the London Stock Exchange on the tenth of January of this year. Uh, it was a, a process we'd been operating in country for, for a couple of years, you know, prior to that. Um, in essence, we had four licenses in joint venture with Talken Samrul, which I was operating um, out of Australia as, as we were moving all of the legal agreements and all of the operating infrastructure forward. Um, so on listing, we started with those with those four assets. And since then, we've pegged uh, another another four licenses and done a joint venture on one license, which has expanded the portfolio and, and the optionality considerably. Uh, what we have in terms of those licenses, we've got two gold licenses in the Chuili Orogenic Gold Belt, both of which have been drilled this year with nearly 5,000 metres of drilling. We have five licenses in the Rudni Altai um, Volcanogenic Massive Sulphide Belt in the east region of Kazakhstan. Um, which are all incredibly exciting. And we've conducted a heliborn magnetic survey on those this year. And we did a joint venture with a local group uh, on a deposit in East Kostanai called the Talaric uh, Rare Earth, Heavy Rare Earth Deposit, which we believe to be an ionic clay. And that was about 10 square kilometres and we pegged another 134 square kilometres um, in that region to, to gain the extra striker above the granite. We've also managed to drill that this year as well. So it's been a very, very busy year for, for Easter. We've got quite quite a diversified portfolio and we hope that um uh you know that that's really going to give us an opportunity, a number of opportunities for some real success in into 2023. Yeah. Uh, obviously before we started recording um you seem pretty upbeat with with everything that you've got in front of you. Um, I want to even just tell us a little bit about the the rare, in more detail, the rare earth projects that you've got. Certainly. So this was presented to us uh, by by a local company, and we we did some due diligence on the vendors first. And and I can't say you know we couldn't be dealing with a higher quality group of people. Um, you know that the the people behind it have had some very very successful exits in terms of selling their gold mines for, for $200 million to um, uh, to Cas Minerals a number of years ago. They've got operating gold mines in, in West Costanai. Um, and uh, one of the other partners is, is a senior partner um, at uh, one of the principal law firms in Kazakhstan and, and head of natural resources. And in fact, voted one of the best lawyers in Kazakhstan, the best lawyer in Kazakhstan two years running as well. Um, so highly credible partners. And they sent us this project or they approached us with this, with this project. And uh, the first thing I did, of course, being shown rare earths, is I, I sent it to one of my fellow vendors, a chap by the name of Dr. Rainer Elmes. And Dr. Elmes is a, is a geologist in Namibia. And he's got a number of discoveries to his name. He's an incredible out-of-the-box thinker. 
But one of the discoveries he does have to his name is the um, uh, asset that's owned by Namibia Critical Minerals, which is a, a rare earths deposit in Namibia, which they're currently doing feasibility work on with, with Jogmec. And so Rayner is, is unequivocally one of you know the top whatever X percent of rare earth experts in, in the world, certainly from, from um, a, geolog a, a geologist perspective. So when he told me that I can't ignore this, I have to take it very, very seriously because it looks like it's got the same geochemical signature of the ionic clays of South China. Uh, of course, who, who, am I, who am I to argue? Um, so once he said that, we did take it seriously. We spent a lot of extra time doing due diligence. There's a number of historical reports on this asset, um, and those historical reports gave an old 1994 GKZ uh, resource model, so non-JORC or 43101 compliant resource model of just under 20,000 20, tonnes of contained rare earth oxides plus yttrium. So for us, we were quite confident that the deposit was there. Um, you know, furthermore, the, the details on the metallurgy, uh, or I should say the lithology of the deposit showed that it was hosted in, in kaolinitic clays. And therein lies lies the point about the geochemical signature of, of the clays of South China. And, you know, the critical part there is, is that this is where most of the world gets their heavy rare earths from. Heavy rare earths often sit in some of these um, uh, major hard rock deposits and, and can often you know, be a small part of the liberation that, that um, uh, of, of minerals that is taken from those deposits. Um, but by and large, the vast, vast majority of these heavy rare earths come from these ionic clays. And so that's very exciting for us. Um, and we uh, therefore decided to do a farming agreement with, with this group, Phoenix, Phoenix Mining. The farming agreement was wonderful terms for us. It was, you know, essentially money in the ground that would allow us to de-risk the project considerably before any um, cash out in inverted commas, and the cash out being shares um, that are issued to the vendors at the time. So we can earn up to 90% of the project by spending a uh, million dollars and, and uh, issuing $500,000 in shares. Um, and that's, sorry, to be clear, that's up to 75% over two tranches and then up to 90% to, to um, take it through the bankable feasibility study. So we're really excited by this. We um, got our approvals through to drill very, very quickly, very impressed with our team to, to um, have achieved that uh, within two to three months. And that allowed us to sneak in a quick drill program before winter really kicked in, which was um, very beneficial for us. So we conducted that program um, in October, uh, and we drilled 1,001 metres. And what that has shown us with the detail we have so far is that 27 of the 30 boreholes that we drilled uh, intersected kalanitic clay. The average width of those kalanitic clays was 32 metres, which is significant and, and higher than the average uh, width of the historical deposit, which was only 20 metres. And we have been shooting it with the um, PXRF, which is a portable uh, X-ray fluorescence device, which can assist us with guidance on, on um, yttrium grades. And we're very confident that the yttrium grades uh, are there and that they will result in, in um, some good uh, total rare earth oxide grades for us to report next year when, when, um, when the assays are returned. 
And I think the, the second part of that is that we intend on doing uh, leech test work. So what uh, the idea of that is, is we'll conduct a five-stage sequential leach, and hopefully that will give us the indication that that the minerals, the, the rare earth minerals, are very loosely bound or easily liberated from, from these kalanitic clays. What we tend to have, and again, in the ones in South China, is they use quite a benign acid leach. So you're talking, you're talking literally like a salt, an ammonium sulfate or, or, or something along those lines. So a very benign leach that um, gives you quite a high percentage liberation. And that is exactly the sort of thing that makes these deposits both economic, um, but also very environmentally friendly. They're shallow, um, you know, they're, they're clays, so there's, there's no big strip ratio, there's no crushing, no grinding. It's literally an earth-moving process and then and then leaching before you get your concentrate to send to the market. So very, very exciting from a potential perspective. Um, and it won't be, you know, investors won't have to wait very long to, to find out how um, how real this thing is. Yeah. Um, you're involved in rare earths, uh, copper and gold. Um, is there a reason why you've got a wide range of diverse of portfolio? Yes, yeah, certainly. So we... You know, Kazakhstan really is this sort of land of opportunity. I, I've got a, a phrase that I use, which is it's um uh, it's Western Australia in the 1970s. I had someone from SRK say, you know, more like the 1950s, Alex. And that's not um, a, a downplay on Kazakhstan. What what that is is that's you know the exploration funding that went into Western Australia over the last you know 50 years has simply not happened here for a number of you know, relatively obvious reasons. And the country has lacked a major discovery, you know, since the 1970s. And and once again, that's purely from an exploration spend perspective. And I can, you know, point to numerous examples of resource depletion, you know, in mines in in, in even in the East region where we are in, in the Woodna Altai belt um, with Kaz Minerals. And, you know, all of the data that we have shows that there is next to no exploration work that's occurred there since since the early 80s. So, you know, Kazakhstan has this opportunity and what we wanted to do was not be uh, not be a one-trick pony. We, we certainly did not want to rest on our laurels or find an asset that we had to, that, that you end up, um, pushing a, a potentially bad or marginal asset because it's the only one you have. There was there was a lot for us to do. We could very comfortably do a lot more, but we thought this is the right size of portfolio which offers um, investors the diversity that that will allow you know with with the cash balance that we had that will allow us to let let's say significantly de-risk these assets from an exploration perspective and decide which ones are. are are capable of being taken forward to, you know, resource drill out, scoping study, and 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 uh, and hopefully at some stage development. So that's the reason we've got such a diverse portfolio. And and I've got to say, so far we're we're pretty happy with the fact that we've done that. Um, uh, you know, we we really do have you know at least three potential company company making assets in in the rare earths, in the copper, and, and in the gold. And what's your what's your experience in uh, as a junior miner going into Kazakhstan? And I suppose if there was other other companies looking to do uh, business in Kazakhstan, what what's your experience have been, and and what advice would you give another mining company potentially looking at 
uh, Kazakhstan as a mining jurisdiction. Sure. The experience has been has been very positive all in all. It's um it's it, it hasn't been one without its learning hurdles, of course. Um, you know, there's there's different systems in places, obviously different languages. Um, and understanding the culture and the systems and, and the languages is, is is a critical hurdle to get through. You know, for me, the step change was moving here. Um, you know, being a part of the community, being able to go out for a drink with you know, the major miners who are here already investing you know, significant amounts of, of, of capital um, and, and or who have been here for a long time, such as Rio Tinto, you know, over 15 years they've been here and, and they've made a number of discoveries in that time. Um, local companies, local service providers, local law firms, having these people in, in, in you know, in my, my friendship group, I should say, um, you know, it is a game changer in, in terms of being able to to operate efficiently and effectively. So that was the, the critical step for us. For, for juniors looking to get into the space, there's still a few small hurdles. Um, it, it's, it's not impossible by any stretch, but there's a few small hurdles, um, you know, like setting up local bank accounts and so on. You know, you need to have uh, you know, good, trustworthy accountants in place. Um, or, or you need to move here or, or come here for a reasonable period of time and, and do it all yourself. But, you know, once you've got the team in place, you know, which we have now, you can execute things very, very, very quickly. There's a few nuances in the mineral law which, um, uh, you know, provide for ambiguity, but but it's something which we're lobbying, you know, purely for a clarity perspective rather than, um, you know, than any potential operating issue. Um, but I would say... If you're a junior looking for projects, come to Kazakhstan. There is an insane amount of land here, huge, huge amounts of prospectivity, and and in my view, the more the merrier. Um, you know, one one success will be everybody's success, and and there really, really is that opportunity. And talking about the projects, how do you expect to monetize each of the the projects you're involved in? Sure, we we specifically looked at projects in areas where they have large mine potential, but without a large mine requirement. You know, we're not we're not sitting in in the middle of the Sahara or Africa, which says you need one million or two million ounces, you know, to get a project up and running. The infrastructure in Kazakhstan is immense. Um, there are mills and smelters, you know, all throughout the country that that more often than not are hungry, um, and so you you have a lot of optionality and. Um, why don't I give some specific examples on that case? For the rare earths, for example, um, the local town, which is about sort of 40, 50 kilometres away, is called Arkalik, and it was it was uh, about 20% of the USSR's bauxite production um, until actually not that long ago. And those facilities are still very much uh, in place. They're, they're winding down at the moment. Um but, you know, there are railheads, there are power lines, um, you know, there is trucking expertise and, and drilling expertise and mining expertise and engineering expertise in this, in this small town that, you know, in essence would be like, like being in the absolute middle of Western Australia. Um, and, you know, the local, um, Akim, which is sort of the mayor is, is, has said to us as well, you know, when, when you're ready to develop, let us know. We have a mandate to bring power and water to site so we can do that for you to get the project up and running. So the willingness is just absolutely fantastic. 
in our um, east region on the copper projects, you've got two major producers. You've got Kaz Minerals um, and you have Kazink, which is effectively 70% Glencore and about 30% Calcan Samarit, who, who's also our joint venture partner in uh, in a couple of those licenses. Um, both those companies have hungry mills and both those companies have hungry smelters um, that are very, very close. Power, water, rail, absolutely everything going right through the region. So you could not want for, for better infrastructure. So although we feel that you know we have a real opportunity to make a significant VMS discovery or discoveries, um, more to the point, um, you know, there's not a necessity to have 20 or 30 or 50 million tons. If you if you discover a five million ton VMS project, um, and you know, on, on the average grades of the belt. We truly, truly believe that that will be still easily monetizable by, by um, you know, selling or uh, either at mine gate or processed or to to one of these hungry mills and smelters. And again, you're not beholden to one player in that instance because there's, there's two parties which would have ha- happily um, uh, bid over over qualified ore. So for us, um, it makes perfect sense. There's no requirement to sell to a major as your only exit you know we have a, a number of different opportunities or, or or chances here to monetize these assets um and uh and and you know we look forward to demonstrating that in the next year or two can you tell us a little bit about the management team and those that are involved with eStar? certainly so the well the board of directors is is fourfold we've got all, all the all the requisite skill sets we've got the banker the accountant the uh the lawyer and the geologist um the geologist is is david minchin whom i mentioned before um uh from from amed funds and, and as a ceo of scandinavian he's a, a wonderful economic geologist uh, you know uh, unbelievably practical in his analysis of of, of projects in the market um we have Sandy Bublitz, our chairman, who uh, has uh, FTSE 250, I want to say, experience um, uh, in, in legal fields and in business development, and is a well-known uh, person around the, the London finance markets, particularly in, in small to mid-cap mining. And we have Anthony Eastman, who's our requisite accountant, uh, also with a lot of business development and, and experience in, in small mid-cap mining. Um, but making sure that uh, that our accounts are, are 100% up to date. In country, we, we've got a number of different people on our advisory team. So um, I mentioned before, Dr. Rainer Elmi's um, just just you know I, I can't rate highly enough the the, the critical analysis of, that that he approaches projects with. Um, you know, very very practical, very in depth analysis, and 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 a person who has a number of discoveries. I think four or five discoveries to his name in Namibia. Um, he works for a Namibian family office and is operating, uh, well, I can't can't remember how many, but, but certainly two or three operating mines at the moment, as well as a number of exploration projects um, and moving into development, including Namibia Critical Minerals. So he's an exceptional talent um, to have as, uh, as, as a sounding board um, uh, and project reviewer. Um, we had, uh, we have, sorry, uh, Vladimir Krupnik, who is based in Perth and spent 20 years in Kazakhstan. He's a mine geologist. So he uh, was actually the principal mine geologist for um, uh, for Kaz Minerals for some time. Well, at, at the time, I believe it was Kazakhmis, um, a combined entity. And after that, Altino Mass. And Altino Mass owned the Aquakai project, which is 
the you know six to eight million ounce project on the Chile Orogenic Gold Belt where our gold projects are based. So Vlad very much knows what what an economic gold project looks like and can pick these things you know fairly early from his understanding of, of, of um, mine geology. And he's just a fantastic addition, not not least of which, of course, his networks in Kazakhstan are fantastic. Um, and on the ground, now the team's changed up a little bit recently, but we have uh, a, a couple of principal geologists. We have, you know, um, lawyer, office manager, environmental specialist and um, GIS specialist who's, who's a PhD out of Astana. So we're really, really happy with the team. And I think that... Um, the amount of work that we've achieved this year, the amount we've actually done, is is all we need to do on our resumes to to demonstrate how um how good this team is at, at executing work programs and getting things done. Um, I've got a couple more questions. <clears throat> why why should people um obviously follow and invest in Eastar? Sure, so Eastar. What I believe ESTAR is, is just absolutely wonderful optionality for, for investors. You know, we're, we're offering um, a number of different projects, any one of which has the opportunity to be a company maker. Um, but from the data that we've seen today, there's very likely, we, we, we hope that there'll be more than one. Um, you know, the team has experience in capital markets we've got experience in discoveries and we've got experience in Kazakhstan uh, as a as a significant combined team and we're getting you know we're getting a lot done so the dollars that we um, are given by investors is is going in the ground as you know um, is very much going in the ground towards achieving results you know I I believe that um, you know, the rare earth project shows just absolutely wonderful optionality. And I can say that we uh, have had approaches by a number of people saying as soon as we get that leach test work back and we've got a strong indication that there's an economic project there, they'll be very interested to to um, uh, participate um, in that project. And I can say the same thing about the copper um, as well in the East region. The um, The... Gold projects, um, very much the same. You know, the, the size of those gold projects, well, the potential size is significant, um, you know, to, to the tune of we're looking for plus million ounces. Um, but even without that, we've had a number of people say, look, you know, if, if, there's, um, if there's an option to develop even a smaller mine here, we'd be really happy to participate. So what I, what I think A-Star is, 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 I, I wouldn't even, I've likened it in the past to lottery tickets, but I'm so hesitant to do that because the amount of data we have, it would be a very, very uh, comparatively low-risk lottery, uh, I, I feel, for um, for real company-making assets. So committed team working incredibly hard to to um, convert those options to, um, to reality. And lastly, what's the outlook for the next sort of next six to nine months? And is is there anything else you want to share with our audience? Sure, project by project, and I'll simply work uh, west to east from uh, from a geographical location. So the one thousand meters of drilling on the rare earths will be uh, sampled and sent uh, as composites to the labs in in the next few weeks. We expect that to occur. So we will have the assays for that. Um, probably into early next year as well as the leach test work, and that will tell us 
really if we've got um, a rare earth project that we need to start converting to jort resources, do the step out drilling to confirm the size and, and start doing the bulk sampling for, you know, for to develop a process flow sheet. We've got 5,000 metres of gold assay results, which uh, are due and four targets were drilled for the gold. And we really hope to convert, you know, a couple of those into prospective um, uh, prospective resources that will tell us whether or not we've got a gold project. And we expect um, to be drilling the, the copper projects as well. And so just to be clear on that one, we flew uh, over 3,800 line kilometres of Heliborne EM survey last year. From those surveys, we take thousands of anomalies and we develop them down to, um, uh, to, to 50 essentially EM, uh, confirmed EM anomalies. And from there, they're broken down further um, to, you know, in terms of priorities. And then the priorities we Maxwell modeled and the Maxwell model have given us drilling targets. So we have four drill-ready targets. We expect, uh, and, and any one of those could, could comfortably become a mine um, if, if successful, of course. Um, and we also have a, a huge data and we spent, you know, the year ordering, collecting, reviewing, um, uh, additional data from from the geology department called Casgeoinform, and we're processing that now. And we firmly believe that that from the results of that processing will give us additional drill ready targets from a geochemical perspective. You know, potentially some um, you know far more advanced than than already sitting in the portfolio. So. Hopefully that is uh, is some news that, that we can um, we can finalise the work on sooner rather than later and, and get that up to market as well. But I, I'm I'm incredibly excited by the copper potential, um, both from a, a a lower risk perspective of of you know historical deposits and from a very very high impact perspective from from drilling EM targets um, in an area that's got uh, some of the best grades you know some of the best grades on the planet. Alex, really appreciate your time in giving us an update on E-Star resources. Um, you, obviously, we were speaking off air as well, and it looks like you've got a lot of exciting things happening, um, and it really looks a bright future for 2023. And we'd like, obviously, to, for you to come on um, later or sometime next year to give us an update. I would be delighted to, Rob. Thank you very much yeah. for your time. Appreciate it. Yeah, and if our audience wants to reach out to you and wants to obviously follow eStar, how can they go about doing that? What social media platforms are you on? Certainly. We are on, uh, what are we on? <laughs> we're on LinkedIn and we're on Twitter. Um, and we have a website, of course, uh, eStarplc.com. And you can sign up for newsletters uh, and uh, and news alerts on the website. So, yeah, please do follow us on, on any of those. and. And, and reach out to me on LinkedIn as well. Yeah. Well, we can include those in the show notes, accompany this anyway, for easy access to uh, um, if our audience has any questions that they want to ask you. So um, really appreciate your time. All the best for 2023. We can um, And we can have a catch up maybe mid next year um, with some obviously more news flow um, that you will um, that you will produce. Um, it sounds like an interesting, obviously, number of projects that you're involved in, and especially like the Rare Earths project, um, which is obviously really needed um, across the world. So um, obviously, like I said, wish you well in that. Thanks so much, Rob. Appreciate it. No worries. Uh, next time. Yeah. 
Thank you for listening. Um, I hope you enjoyed that episode. Please share this uh, amongst the mining community around the world. Um, like I said, in my um, when I'm interviewing junior miners, it's really important to, for us to get the to get their exposure um, out there, so everyone knows what they're what they're up to. It's a hard gig working in the junior space, um, and hopefully, by you sharing the episode. Um, it just helps it helps a little bit for all the junior miners so um, appreciate your continued support and until next time happy mining thank you for listening remember to reach out to rob via the show notes and be sure to subscribe and leave a review until next time happy mining helping each other to improve the mining industry